change you. So God gives us a means to grace, a means of grace to form habits so that his grace becomes increasingly known and it becomes increasingly experienced in every facet of our life. It's no different than some of the other habits we have. Like, I don't know about you, but like, I kind of have a habit of like breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? I mean, I can even eat a late breakfast. I can eat a breakfast at 11.30, the clock gets 12, and I'm like, what's for lunch? Because I'm just, like, I'm so programmed to, like, eat in the middle of the day. Why is that? Because you're a pig, Ronnie. No, it's because it's just, it's a habit, right? It's, it's something that has been formed in me from a very early age. In the same way, not in the same way, but in the same way, you guys understand what I mean by this. God has given us particular disciplines uh, by, by prayer, by the word of God, by baptism, by the Lord's Supper for us to form habits around so that we can not receive just physical nourishment like we do from breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but so that we can continue to receive spiritual nourishment, which is what we actually need even more than we need physical nourishment. The other vital thing is that God's grace, it, it doesn't exist apart from the face of Jesus. Okay, so when we talk about grace, we don't want to talk about it as just being this sort of this word that functions, you know, as something that we need to know about because we're Christians. In other words, the, the point of prayer, of reading God's word, of taking the Lord's Supper or communion and baptism isn't only to affirm that we're Christians doing Christian things but it's to draw us closer to the person, the face of Jesus Christ, who draws close to you, scripture tells us, who makes his home with you, as scripture tells us. And by the way, when someone makes their home with you, what, 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 is it, what does it mean that they're doing with you? When someone makes their home with you, it means that they're, they're living with you, right? They're eating with you. They're laughing with you. They're crying with you. They're sharing with you. They're enjoying the gift of your presence. So that helps us understand the place that Jesus has in our life, right? As we express our closeness to him through prayer, through his word. Jesus is not a maid who just works for you. He's not a renter who just pays you to occupy some space in your life. Jesus lives with you in a way that nobody else can. He's close to you in a way that nobody else can be because he has taken up residence in your heart by virtue of the Holy Spirit. And just like you can't run away from your heart, you can't run away from Jesus Christ if he is in your heart, right? Which is why he said things like, I am with you always. Do we take that to heart? Do we take that word always to heart when we read the words of Jesus? When he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus told his disciples, again, these were men that he had lived and camped with and stayed in Airbnbs with for three years and at some point had to leave them physically. And he said, I need to leave you physically so that the Holy Spirit will take up residence in your hearts in such a way that I will be even closer to you in that way than I will be if I stayed physically with you. What that means for us then is as we come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our hearts and, it, and he reminds us and he reassures us of the things of God. And in this way, just like he explained to the disciples, 
Jesus is closer to us right now than he even was when he was walking the streets of Jerusalem with his disciples. That's just mind-blowing. That's how close Jesus is to us. Jesus also tells us in John 10, 28 that everything the Father gives him cannot be snatched from his hand. Right? So if you wonder if it's possible to lose this salvation that I'm talking about right now. Um, we are a church and I am a pastor that teaches and believes emphatically. Did I say the word emphatically? That believes emphatically that no, you cannot. You cannot lose your salvation. You can't lose something that was never yours to begin with to earn, right? When the Holy Spirit takes up residence in a person's heart, he has no checkout date. That's not how it works. That's not what scripture teaches. Well, some may ask, well, what about those who walk away from the faith? Well, we would say that those who walk away from Jesus never had Jesus truly in them because you can't walk away from someone who doesn't let you go. Now, that doesn't mean you can't feel far from Jesus. It means that however far away you feel, Jesus has already traveled that distance with you. And so I say all that for us to understand that the way, the means that God has given us to experience that closeness and that reassurance are these means of grace through prayer, through the word, through baptism and the Lord's Supper. In your sin, in your suffering, in your craziness, in your confusion, wherever you're at this morning, in your rebellion, in your despair, in your, just, in your disinterest, man, I was dragged here. This is also uninteresting to me. Remember that for those who Jesus has saved, Jesus is that close to. And he's given us some things to experience that closeness and to experience it more completely and to experience the grace that comes as the result of that closeness. And so what do we do? Well, we press into those graces. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read from Philippians chapter three. And this is what Paul says in verse 13. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. What he means by that is he hasn't arrived. All of these things that we're being taught today, that we're trying to embrace today, that we're trying to grow in our, in our knowledge of, Paul was doing the same thing. But he says this, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul is like, man, he's acknowledging, man, like, man, there's things in my life and in my past, man, there's things that are hitting at me from all sides, but I, I press on. And then he says in verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. You hear the, the grace that exists at the end of that passage there. It says God will reveal those things that contribute to your maturity as a believer. How does he reveal those things? He does it through prayer. He does it through the word of God. He does it through communion. 
and baptism. So today we're going to finish our series. We're going to look at the final two means of grace that God gives the church, which is also this word called the sacraments, which by the way, comes from a Latin word, which is always a fun thing to hear from the pastor on Sunday morning, but it it comes from a Latin word that referred to the oath of allegiance a soldier made to their commanding officer. That's with the word sacrament. That's where it comes from. So in the Lord's Supper and in baptism, this thing is happening where we are pledging ourselves to belonging fully to Christ. So in this sense, the sacraments, they function as signs and seals in the life of believers. So when we take part in baptism, we take part in communion, it's not the thing that saves us, but it's a sign and a seal that we have been saved to the, to the world and to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul tells us in Romans 4, 11, he kind of he fleshes this out a little bit. He said, listen, Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith, even though he wasn't circumcised, Paul tells us. So what we know about a sign, when we, when we start talking about signs, is that a sign is a marker that points to something more significant, right? They also, signs also confirm God's promises to us. Remember Noah? Remember Noah, the whole earth was flooded. God saved seven people, Noah and his family. And when they got off the ark, what did God do? But he gave Noah a sign and a covenant based on the fact that he promised never to flood the earth. He made a binding agreement with Noah that he said, hey, I promise you that this will never happen again. And you see that rainbow, you'll, you'll see that sign in the sky. Have you ever seen a rainbow, man, after it rains, especially out here? It just looks amazing. And for us, that indicates a sign of a binding agreement that God once gave with Noah. We kind of see signs and seals when we look at marriage rings, right? What is a a marriage ring? Does just putting on a ring make you married? Well, no, of course not. But it's a sign and a seal confirming the bride and the groom's love and commitment to one another. So when we look at baptism, we look at the Lord's Supper. That's what we're looking at. These are signs and seals that we have been united with Christ, right? William Barclay describes it like this. He says, listen to this quote, God's covenant signs both confirm our identity as those who belong to God and secure our membership in that covenant. And then he says, sacraments both assure and strengthen us in our relationship with God. He says, sacraments set us apart as belonging fully to Christ. In the sacraments, we pledge that we fully, wholly, and unreservedly belong to him. St. Augustine, the old theologian from the third century said, sacraments are visible signs of invisible grace. So this is something tangible when we look at baptism and we look at the Lord's Supper. You know, if you can imagine when you get a new job and you're in the interview process and one of the things they tell you about as a way to make the job they're offering you more, uh, you know, more, more appealing is that what do they do? They, they offer you a benefits package, right? And they say, hey, if you come work to us, work for us, not only are we going to give you this incredible paycheck, 
But there's also something that comes along with it. There's a benefits package. And usually what comes with a, with a benefits package is really sort of knock it out of the park insurance, right? Whether it's just health insurance or life insurance. And so what that means is that when you say yes, when you sign on the dotted line, when you receive and accept this job for your employment, it means that as long as you do the job and you fulfill the commitment by accepting the job that they are hiring you for, man, they will provide that insurance, they will provide that benefit, benefits package, right? So that gives you a little bit of an inkling of what we're talking about, except for when we talk about God, we're not talking about insurance, we're talking about assurance, right? So the benefits of redemption, the things that God has given to us to draw us and keep us closer to Christ through his grace, right? These things, these ordinary means that God has given to us, they're given to us not as a way to say, hey, if you just keep doing the job, I'll keep doling these things out. It's not like that. It's not transactional. It's not like insurance where you pay and you get the coverage. It's no, no, no. Jesus already paid and covers you. So what you have now is assurance that no matter what, you are going to receive the grace that was promised to you and two of those things that sort of, that sign and seal that for us is baptism and the Lord's Supper. So we're just going to unpack baptism real quick. We're going to unpack the Lord's uh, Supper and then we are going to take the Lord's Supper and, and pray. Um, so baptism, let's talk about baptism here for just a few minutes. The primary symbolism of baptism is that it means it's, it's a washing or a purifying. It's a sign that in Christ we are clean. Remember the book of Isaiah says, though your sins be as scarlet, they will be white as snow. You will be cleansed. And, and we're not talking about a physical cleaning, right? That's up to you how physically clean that you want to be, right? And you, can, and you can also be somebody who is just fastidious and you take three showers a day, but that has nothing to do with what's going on inside of your heart and in your soul. So when we talk about baptism, we're talking about a sign that indicates the spiritual cleansing that you've received from Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. It's the blood. It's not the water that cleanses, right? And what baptism does in that cleansing process is that it sets us apart for Christ and it identifies us with Christ. The words of William Barclay again, because he speaks of these things so well, he says, baptism points to God's grace and to the fact that salvation is all of God. God chose us and by his spirit transforms us. Even faith is a gift from God. And baptism says that those who belong to Christ have been saved by the grace of God. Salvation, he says, from start to finish is God's work. And so baptism is a way of showing the church and the world that this cleansing work, this salvation that only Christ could provide you has been applied to you, right? Baptism also symbolizes God giving us his Holy Spirit because it's the spirit in actuality who both cleanses and empowers. Let's go all the way to the Old Testament, to the book of Ezekiel. Um, yeah, I don't know how to get there either, but you're gonna have to make a hard left and you're going to have to go to Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 36. And all the way back in the Old Testament, 
The Holy Spirit was spoken of in this way as, a, as the one who cleanses a person from their sin. Ezekiel chapter 36, as you're getting there, um, I was able to get there somehow. I'm going to start reading it. And it says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So what Ezekiel is doing is giving us a picture of the work that God does when he cleanses us by the power and the work of his spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who cleanses a person from their sin and we need cleansing from our sin. But he not only cleanses us, he empowers us. So baptism not only symbolizes this cleansing process, but it also marks us as belonging to God, as being set apart for the mission of Christ and empowering us to do that, as having a, a new identity to Christ to embark on that mission. So let, let's just back up a little bit because for the Israelite, like we read a little bit before in Paul, circumcision, which is always a comfortable topic to discuss on Sunday morning, um, but circumcision which is what God gave to the Israelites as a way to separate themselves and mark them was how they identified as God's chosen people. But now under the new covenant we have in Christ, baptism has replaced circumcision as being the sign and seal of our union with Christ. So to summarize, if you are somebody who has not been baptized, that's okay, meaning it's not okay but it's okay because you can step forward in obedience and you can indicate to your church community that you now belong to Christ and are on mission as ambassadors to the world. You have an opportunity to do that because it's a sign and a seal that you've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus and you belong to him and you are identifying with a church community in this very unique way. You, you are saying, I have unity with you as a sinner that has now been saved by grace. I am walking with you alongside of you as the Holy, same Holy Spirit that's in here is in you. The same Christ that died for you has died for me. The same Jesus that walks alongside of you walks alongside of me. And one of the ways that we're going to feel the tangible results of that cleansing is that we're going to serve one another. We're going to be unified. We're going to help each other in our weaknesses. And when you get baptized, you're basically raising your hand and saying, hey, I'm part of this family that's going to be a part of that process. It's a sign and it's a seal. Does that make sense? The next one is the Lord's Supper. This is the second of our two sacraments that God has given the church. And what the Lord's Supper does is it celebrates. It's a celebratory thing with Christ and with each other, with one another, the new covenant that God has made with his people through Christ's work on the cross. So it's this new covenant sign to take the place of the old covenant sign of this thing called Passover. Well, what the heck? What is Passover? Well, if you go to Exodus 12, and you don't have to go there, but it will give you this, this fully fleshed out um, uh, 
a story of God's, of God's time with the Israelites where he, um, where he passed over them before he delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh. So what happened was, is you remember back in the time of Moses when God had called Moses to deliver his people um, from just the oppression that they were facing under Pharaoh. And he said, I have a, a new land that I'm going to bring you into that I promised your fathers And so, man, the Israelites had been under slavery and oppression for 400 years. And it was finally the time for them to be delivered from that. So he calls this dude Moses to be sort of the instrument to deliver them uh, from the hand of Pharaoh. Now he sends all these plagues on Pharaoh, but Pharaoh's heart was hardened. So Pharaoh was not letting the people of Israel go because that constituted his entire workforce. So... We get to the end of this journey where God is about to deliver them and finally release them from the hand of Pharaoh. And he has one final plague, which was, he said, I'm going to kill the firstborn of everybody in Egypt and also Israel who doesn't follow these particular instructions. And the particular instructions were this. You needed to kill a lamb and you needed to take the blood of the lamb and you needed to put a sign, a marking of the blood on the doorpost of your house. And then when the angel flew over, when the angel came in, the doorposts, the households who had the blood on the doorpost, he would pass over them. He would not take the life of their firstborn son. So for the Israelites, everyone who obeyed God and who took part in that ceremony and the blood was on their doorpost, their firstborn was saved. And God laid out a festival for them to commemorate that particular event in their life. So it was an important event, but it also became a model for who Jesus was and who Jesus is. Jesus became the Passover lamb whose body and blood withheld God's wrath and judgment from us so that we might live. Man, it's, it's a terrifying picture when you think of it in, in those ways. And guess what? We got to think of it in those ways, right? So when we think of what the Lord's Supper, what it symbolizes for us, it symbolizes the Lamb of God, which is what Jesus is referred to as being slaughtered and his blood being shed so that all who take on, who mark themselves with the blood of Christ, God's wrath will pass over him and he will see them as being righteous. He will see them as not being held in judgment and condemnation over their sins. I mean, do you see the weight of that? Like that just, get, that just gives you such like a, like a picture of what it is we're doing when we're taking communion, right? It's not just this thing, this ritual with like a cracker and some juice. And we think about what this symbolizes for us. And Jesus instituted this when he ate this Passover meal with his disciples on the night before his death. And in Luke twenty two nineteen, 19, it says he, he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body, not literally, but this is a symbol of my body, which is given for you. And then in Matthew 26, he says, this is the blood of the covenant when he gave them the wine to drink, which he said, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. You realize what Jesus was getting ready to do. 
He was getting ready to be that Passover lamb who was going to be slaughtered so that his blood could be applied to the doorposts of our heart and our sin so that God would pass over us. And then in Luke twenty two nineteen, 19, he encouraged the disciples. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Why? Because it's important that we remember, that we remember the depth of what this means for us as those who have been saved by the blood of Christ. So it's the body, it's the blood, it's remembrance, and it also points forward. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. 26, Paul wrote the church, he said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There will be a time when we don't take communion anymore when we're with the Lord. It points forward to the, what the Bible calls the marriage supper of the Lamb. This feast where we someday eat with Christ and our brothers and sisters from every tongue, nation, and tribe. So we can call it a sign and a seal because that's what it is. But we don't want to say it's just a sign and a seal. Because what it represents is a depth for us as believers that reshapes our hearts just deeper than we can possibly imagine. Do you guys hear me with that? And what we see when we take communion is we see that it gives us tangible elements. There's tangible qualities of the Lord's Supper, right? It involves our senses. We, we smell, we touch the elements, we taste the elements. It involves like what's happening right now. You're, you're hearing the word of God preached. So there's something about the way we're listening and we're receiving God's word. And our hearts are being shaped and transformed and changed. It also helps us better grasp the wonder of Christ's death. So that we don't just dismiss it as this thing that happened 2,000 years ago that we read about occasionally and we celebrate on Good Friday but that it's an everyday wonder for us. It also unites us all to all who belong to Christ. Man, I take the Lord's Supper. I drink that cup. I eat that bread, man. I, man it ties me with Casey Bond, my brother here, because I need that just as much as he does. You know, it ties me with Dustin Kaufman and Rachel Kaufman because they have acknowledged their need, their deep need for the blood of Christ to cleanse them. And it has cleansed them. So together we're cleansed. There's nothing that's going to unite us more than that, man. I'll tell you, we know the things that divide us. What's up 2020 and 2021? What's going to unite us? One thing. And then it sets us apart from the world for the world. We are set apart from the world for the world, right? We don't build a bubble around the church so that we all just huddle up. Nah, man, we're, we've been prepared to be set apart and holy from the world so that the world can witness the set apartness and the holiness that comes with receiving this redemption from Christ's sacrifice. So baptism and the Lord's Supper, signs and symbols that seal the truth of Jesus in our hearts 
And by the way, the Lord's Supper, what we're going to take here in one minute, it does something to us in that it works in us mysteriously to strengthen us, to take up our cross and follow Christ. So once again, as we partake of this, as we practice this this morning, this is going to strengthen us to once again follow Christ, take up our cross. It's also going to strengthen our bond to one another. How it does that, I'm not sure. But we're told in scripture that it does, which is why Christ said, do this often in remembrance of me. So we're going to trust him for what maybe we just aren't able to understand as fully as we might someday, believing that God gave us these two particular means of grace as a way to remind us and to draw us closer and to strengthen us and to help us and to heal us. So let me just finish here with three encouragements, um, which I, ho I, hope, I hope I've been saying a version of these three encouragements all the way through this series. But here's my first encouragement for us is that we would develop these habits through gratefulness and not grumbling, right? You know when your kid gets mad when you ask them to do something they don't want to do? If you have kids, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But like when you ask them to do one of their chores and they kick and they pout because you ask them to do something they think isn't fun. What's really going on there, right? Do you ever ask yourself that? Do you ever ask your kids that? Well, it's, it's really, sorry, sorry kids, but it's a lack of love and gratefulness for all that you've given them. My parents used to like to remind me of that like all the time, right? I mean, they have life because of you. They have a roof because of you. They have food because of you. They have clothing because of you. In frustration, they can say, fine, I'll do it. But you want them to have a heart of love and gratefulness. And it's funny how much we laugh at that because we're a lot like this before God. So we want to enter into these means of grace and we want to see them as being invitations to us as being the most important things, the most important practices, the most important, most, the, the most important uh, tools, if that's even the right word, to use in our life that is going to do the thing that is going to affect and change our lives to the uttermost, which is experiencing closeness and affection and depth and experience with Jesus Christ. So we want to develop these habits through a sense of gratefulness and not just fine. And God can change our hearts and he will change our hearts and he will reshape our hearts. So the second thing we want to do is pray that God would give us a renewed gratefulness and that he would do it through the reordering of our loves. I talk about that a lot. I didn't come up with that. That's a Tim Keller line, but Tim Keller talks a lot about reordering our loves, right? Reordering what you think is most important in your life, taking stock taking inventory of your life and saying, man, what's on the top shelf? And why is, it, why is the top shelf of my life so stacked? Because all this stuff we're describing here is top shelf. It's top shelf stuff. So we pray that God would give us a renewed gratefulness so that, man, through the reordering of our loves, we come to God in prayer and through the word and through the Lord's Supper and baptism with a heart that just wants to be close. You eat physically, you eat food, you will eat today 
to be nourished. You will drink water because without it you dehydrate and die. So we want to begin to see these means of grace like that as the spiritual food and water we need even more than the physical food and water that we need and that God provides for us. Because God has given us something to help us grow in godliness, which by the way, is the happiest place that any of you can be in your life is when you are growing in godliness, even given the pain and the suffering that it takes many times to experience it. And then finally, let me just say this. Let me encourage you to encourage and build one another up in these things. Man, reach out, partner with some people, find some friends of which you can say, hey, can we make prayer a community thing? Can we read God's word together a couple mornings or a couple nights a week? And can we do this together as a family? And there's a reason why you're all sitting in this place. There's a reason why we didn't, you know, if there's a hundred people here, there's a reason why we don't do a hundred church services on every Sunday morning because I would die. And number two, because that's not what it's meant to be. It's meant to be all of us together, building up one another, encouraging one another, like we're taught in first Thessalonians. How do we best do that? We best do that through these means of grace because the greatest grace that you might get to experience and know is going to be through the person who's also receiving God's grace and has it to give you in all of your moments of weakness when you need to tangibly know it and feel it and understand it. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you've given us these signs and seals, Lord, and we pray that you would allow these to not become commonplace in our lives. Lord, we would see the depth of which they were given and offered to us through Christ. Lord, I pray that you would renew our gratefulness to you through um, the reordering of our loves. Lord, we realize that our top shelf is very full with things that either shouldn't be on that shelf or should be down a few tiers. So Lord, give us wisdom. Give us desire, Lord. Reshape us into wanting the things that you have provided for us more than anything else, Lord. Everything that pertains to life and godliness is found in your word. And I pray that we would just eat your word. We would gobble it up. You would give us a hunger and a thirst, Lord, for you above all else. And Lord, when we feel condemned because we've had days and weeks where the word and prayer have not informed our lives the way they should, help us to remember that you were just right there you haven't gone anywhere. And for those of us who are saved by you, we're not being condemned by you, but you were just waiting there with your arms open, loving us, caring for us, having compassion on us, understanding the days that we're having, the weeks that we're having, the seasons that we're having, the aches and pains that we're having, the relationship struggles that we're having, the thoughts that we have that we shouldn't have. You understand those things and you want to change and shape and reform those things in us. So I pray that through these means of grace as a church, Lord, you would, you would lead us deeper into, into these practices, into these instruments. And we ask these things in Christ's name, amen.